Hello and welcome to the Ride Dad Podcast. This is your host, Kirill Zubowski, a sleep-deprived dad of two who is desperately trying to get in shape. Today, my guest on the show is Vlad Magdalene, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Webflow. Webflow is a tool that allows anyone to create stunning-looking websites at a click of a button. RideDadShow.com, for example, was a website built in the Webflow, and it only took a couple of hours. Unlike all of their competitors, Webflow is simple when you need it to be and extremely powerful when you want it to be. In fact, the team at Webflow is so confident in their own tools that they use Webflow to build Webflow. If you want to take a look at their tools, the link is in the podcast description. Vlad started this company with his brother and one of his co-workers somewhere around 2012. But the idea for this company was born more than a decade ago. So today, Vlad and I will talk about what it's like to build a profitable company, employing almost 100 people. They're profitable, they're successful, but they're also remote and they don't work on weekends. They're not trying to reach some abstract billion-dollar valuation or do other things so typical for startups in Silicon Valley. If you want to start a company, but you have a family and you want to do the company on your terms... This is an episode for you. Without further ado, Vlad, welcome to the show. So just for starters, tell me quickly, what do you do? Uh, so I started a company called Webflow. Uh, I was a software engineer, and I started it with uh, another software engineer, Bryant, who's my co-founder, and my brother, Sergi, who was our designer. Um, so we all had sort of an engineering or design background, and now we... Um, have scaled the company to almost 100 people, and we focus on uh, making, just giving designers superpowers, giving them the kind of powers that front-end engineers have uh, through a visual design tool um, that folks can use to create applications and websites and push them to production without having to learn how to code. So that's our entire mission, to empower software creation um, without this big barrier of going to a computer science school or boot camp or whatever. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing. Do people love it so far? It depends on who you ask. <laughs> uh, a lot of people do love it, especially when they don't know how to code. So for them, it's very, very empowering. Uh, the people who don't love it as much are people who already know how to code and, you know, can only see limitations. Um, so, you know, for us, that's not exactly an ideal type of customer. Uh, but but we do solve a lot of use cases where, uh, you know, it makes sense for even those people to, to use, use Webflow. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been generally really positive. Um, we have close to, I think, over 35,000 customers at this point. Um, and more and more companies are switching over to Webflow. And uh, there's got to be something that's working for that to be the case. Uh, or at least it's like the least bad option out there. Uh, but we like to think that there's something new because we're we're essentially introducing this new abstraction layer uh, to have most of the functionality that code provides, uh, at least at the UI layer for now, without a lot of the complexity. Right. Uh, so for our non-technical listeners, <clears throat> basically, if you wanted to build a website back in the day, you would get yourself a developer and designer and spend hours on end and tons of money to do something. Now you can go in Webflow, pick a template, move things around, uh, connect it to like your data, and basically in two hours you're running a fully functional website that before would have taken like twenty thousand dollars to build with people. Um, yes, I think the only clarification I'd make to that uh, is that there's so many products that can kind of fit that description. Uh, 
uh, like Squarespace, Wix, and Weebly, et cetera, where you like really pick a template and just move some stuff around. Webflow is a lot more if if those products are kind of like you know Instagram or iMovie. Webflow is more uh, like Photoshop or After Effects. It's it's a deeper learning curve, but but it's way more powerful. Uh, you know, you can uh, professional photographers and professional like, movie effects studios use those more pro level tools, uh, but they also come with a bigger learning curve. So Webflow, a lot of times people don't even start from a template. They start with a blank white page and then build up exactly the kind of site that they want to see. Um, right. So, so if, if uh, people been around in like late nineties, you basically took Dreamweaver and put it on the internet. Exactly. Yeah. That's our. That's basically our sales pitch. Usually, we don't say that because people have many negative connotations with Dreamweaver. <laughs> so, Dreamweaver was awesome. I know. I know. <laughs> just, just tell that to developers who who have had to deal with Dreamweaver's code. Uh, uh, you know what's awesome? You guys launched this uh, tool the other day, the new commerce platform on Webflow. Yep. Mm-hmm. In the and it's wonderful, right? Because now people can do what they did on other platforms, uh, but better and with more creativity and more options. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments I saw on Product Hunt when you guys launched it was like, I love everything about it. Here's some great features. Here's some suggestions what you can add. One problem, it costs more than those other guys. And it's just such a face pump because, hold on a second, <laughs> it, it, you, you just launched something that's like light years better than the mm-hmm. other software but you still want it to cost less. Like what? Yeah, I, that's, that's something that it's just a reality of the market. Um, uh, it, actually, right now, we're, we're equally priced with Shopify uh, on the lowest tier, but we also have a ton of these visual tools, which for Shopify, you would have to learn how to write this liquid code, and uh, you actually have to sign up for um, a plugin in the marketplace to have any sort of like visual building. Uh, which is an extra twenty bucks, so we're actually under that. If you combine the the features, we come out under. But it's just the reality of the market. Like, you know, even if we lower our prices by fifty percent, there's still going to be people complaining that their, you know, their hosting is, uh, you know, they can get like this dollar per year hosting on GoDaddy, um, and it gives them everything that they want. You just can't. You can't compete with that. Um, so for us, we've had to become more and more comfortable with just sticking by our pricing and uh, making sure that it's fair for the value provided. Um, and if if it's you know higher than what you're willing to pay for, then um, then we don't provide enough value for for that to be worth it for you. Uh, and and we don't beat ourselves up over that. We're very comfortable with our pricing. Well, it's great because you've got what 100 people now, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But you guys raised only 1.5 million today. Uh, we actually raised 2.9. It was all in the same round. It was 1.4 at first, and then we raised an additional 1.5 uh, a few months later. Uh, right, but unlike many startups, you've survived on three mil to get to profitability, and now you have 100 people. That's yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, I think we've done like more than ten times as much in revenue as we've ever raised in in funding. Um, so that I think for us, funding is more of a you know it's definitely not off the table for for the future, but but it's um, pretty convenient to run the company off of customer revenue because then we're accountable to our team and our customers, and uh, there's not this sort of undue pressure to. Um, solve for other interests, uh, shareholders, what have you. 
I mean, we still want to like provide a really awesome return for, for the investors who did uh, invest early and we're definitely going to do that. But uh, for us, it's, you know, it has to be like really compelling for us to ever raise money again. And, and that's great because I was just talking to Bryce uh, from IndyVC mm -hmm. and, you know, their model is all about, you know, raise a little bit of money so you can get profitable and yep. then it's going to be so much easier for you to raise VC money once you're actually making money. Yep. And, um, He's mentioned that a lot of companies now that raise at these billion dollar valuations, they're not raising because they need all this money. They just want to achieve the status, mm -hmm. which is super silly because with your three million, right, right now, I mean, say you guys were to sell to somebody for, I don't know, half a billion dollars or mm -hmm. a billion dollars, right? That'd be an amazing return for everyone and investors and right. you don't even need to achieve any, any number. But and that'd be a great deal for the acquirer too. <laughs> Wink, wink. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At your uh, current valuation, two billion dollars, they'd get a great discount. Right, right. right. Did you uh, hear about my the VC fund that I started? You started a VC fund? Yeah, it's called Unicorn VC, where I invest twenty five dollars per company at, and but I only take a zero point zero 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 one percent stake, which which <laughs> yes. immediately makes your company worth two billion dollars, uh, which is how the math works out. Perfect. Uh, so. Yeah, those valuations really don't mean mean much. Uh, I do think there's a lot of value to uh, using uh, investment or using capital upfront to uh, make sure that you gain a foothold in the market and you actually move as fast as possible. Um, so there's definitely advantages to um, to being first in the market or last in the market and and moving quickly to make sure that uh, competitors don't don't outpace you. So there's it's it, there's a, it's a valuable source of capital, uh, but it also has to be weighed with all the um, all the trade-offs. And a lot of times, people get caught up in the uh, sort of public metrics around announcing an ABCD whatever, playing alphabet soup with with these um, kind of funding rounds, where where the valuation becomes much more important than the actual impact the company is having on the world and. And that's where things get, like incentives get really misaligned sometimes where, where the, it sort of gets out of hand uh, for certain companies and they they find themselves in a place where they don't have the kind of culture that they want. They don't have the kind of, um, you know, quality of life that they want to support for themselves or, or for uh, their team. But at that point, the expectations are so high that you really have no uh, no choice but to keep building in that kind of rocket ship type of way hey there listeners just a quick note before we continue i don't have a regular schedule to publish this episode so if you want to know when the next episode is published head over to raddadshow.com and scroll down to a big black box that says be the first to know and sign up with your email i'll email you whenever the next episode of rad dead show is published also i'm working on a tool for podcasters and podcast listeners so if you want to see what it looks like or be the first user also sign up for the email, and I'll update you in one of the next newsletters. Okay, cool. Back to the show. Now is a good time to find out what kind of a company Vlad wants to build out of Webflow, now that he can control his own destiny. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's really about... Uh, at Webflow, we have two 
side-by-side -side missions. There's not one that's like primary and one that's secondary. They're actually on equal footing. One is really about our product vision, uh, which is to empower everyone to create software without having to learn how to code. That's that's like a you know a 30-year journey. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, there's a lot we need to do to make that happen. Um, so that really drives us. Like we want to do everything possible to make sure that that we come up with that outcome, which is why you know acquisitions aren't interesting because every every company that might want to acquire what Webflow has now might want to optimize that, like whether it's website building or CMS or you know e-commerce or you know prototyping tools or whatever. Um, look, there's there's going to be a drive towards maximum revenue uh, extraction from those specific parts that work well now uh, versus what we really want to achieve over the long term, which is to build a fundamentally different way uh, of creating software, which will democratize the practice to many, many more people, you know, a, a hundred times, if not a thousand times uh, more people. So we, we always want to drive for that. So we optimize for what kind of uh, structure... Um, uh, are we sort of how how are we running the company to make sure that that actually happens uh, so we don't burn out our team and um, uh, you know have like this revolving door that makes it much harder to keep focusing on, on a larger mission versus like just building a business uh, and the second mission is to build a kind of company where each individual team member uh, can live an impactful and fulfilling life whatever that means to them uh, and that's a huge part of like treating people as uh, a fundamentally like first principle in, in achieving a much larger mission. Uh, because if, even if the mission is like really important and purposeful and, and grand, and we have like this big goal to shoot for, uh, but we're burning out folks and, and uh, people have like a really terrible experience uh, in sort of, you know, a, a lot of times you kind of hear this expression of like selling out their souls for, for like the mission of the company or, or, um, uh, trading everything to like work day and night to make sure that the mission of the company is uh, fulfilled. Like we don't want that. We want to make sure that that people see uh, work, their work as a very um, important part, part of their lives. Uh, and they have a lot of autonomy in the work that they do. Um, they uh, can master the craft that they're, they're will, they want to pursue if it's like one craft or multiple. Uh, but they also have like a, a clear sense of purpose for, for doing the kind of work that they're doing? Like, are they actually having an impact on the world uh, in the way that they want? And and those two things have to like be achieved at the same time. So we can't sacrifice our uh, team members' well-being and happiness and fulfillment at the cost of, um, we can't sacrifice that to make sure that our product mission is fulfilled, nor can we just like, you know, build like a super friendly uh, you know, great work-life balance, ping pong tables everywhere uh, type of culture where it's like super fun to to be at work and, you know, um, we're all friends, kumbaya, et cetera, but we're not working on something uh, really important. It, it might be a much better outcome just for the world at large for those folks to go work on something uh, more important and more impactful. Uh, so the kind of company that we want to build is one that balances those two missions, like really drives towards creating this new type of software development um, and being really excited about that, but also uh, recognizing that uh, a lot of times there's this sort of expression that it's, it's not a, um, it's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? But for us, even a marathon is pretty exhausting, right? Like you have to, you have to like train for a marathon, people like pass out during a marathon. Uh, you, you have to like decompress for many days, like you run a marathon for a day and then you like toast for like five days. Uh, you have to take these ice baths or whatever. For us, it's more of like 
a brisk walk. Like you, it has to be sustainable over many, many years and you have to be enjoying that, um, uh, that, that activity. So it's almost like, you know, going on a uh, very brisk walk with like constantly with a friend and talking about like fun topics or whatever, but also getting exercise and sort of pushing yourself a little bit through, through that uh, uh, process and getting there faster, uh, but not as fast as like running your, uh, running your entire body into the ground. Um, so it's all about long-term sustainability, which is why, you know, the, the vast majority of, um, of our team is, uh, like tends to, to run on the older side. Like uh, a lot of people have families, uh, there's a, a bigger focus on, um, sustainability and, uh, focus on deep work and doing the most important things rather than just like doing work for the sake of work and putting in the hours. Uh, of course, it's still important to, to work hard and, and to work on the right things, but that doesn't mean that you're working like nights and weekends and, uh, and sacrificing family time and uh, other interests that, that bring you fulfillment, whether um, it's at work or outside of work, um, to make sure that you your life doesn't feel like a, a rat, rat race in pursuit of, of somebody else's mission. Um, so, so for us, it's really, really important to, uh, to make sure that people feel, uh, well supported and, um, are, are not burning out or, or overworking, uh, when it comes to fulfilling our product mission. And I think that's reflected in how, um, in generally how people feel here. Like we've had in the last couple of years, in the last two and a half years, in fact, like nobody has left the company. Um, and I think that's a reflection of, people being valued as much as, uh, if not more so, the, the company vision. Um, because when, when people are treated really great, then they're like, surprise, surprise, they do really amazing work. Um, and we all really enjoy it. And um, it, uh, it, it just leads to a better feeling all around. Like you just, it just feels more sustainable. You feel like you can balance and integrate it better with, with other aspects of your life. Um, and it doesn't become this all-consuming thing that your entire self-worth is like, tied into like if your work doesn't go well then you feel bad as a person etc do you get in trouble for having this uh super positive outlook on life and work while being in san francisco uh to be honest it's becoming more of a more of a normal thing to to uh to talk about before it was something that we had to kind of hide uh even even at yc even with investors like a lot of people told me don't mention that you have kids on your investor pitches etc um, but over the years, maybe I've just become more confident about it. Maybe other, many other companies has, have started taking this approach like Zapier and Automatic and, uh, Envision, et cetera, um, that it has just become more, more of a comfortable thing to, to talk about with confidence. Um, so it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like I have, like this is something that's out on the, the fringes anymore. Uh, it used to be a lot more fringe before. Mm -hmm. and well well you mentioned kids mm -hmm. how was it yeah because when you started uh let's see you started the company you already had a kid or two yeah i started when my kids were one and three um so they were they were pretty young like one was already uh potty trained and another one was just now starting to just starting to walk and that was just as you got into YC and kind of took on funding or even before that? That was before. So we got into YC um, about a year later. 
So the, the kind of the TLDR of the story is I decided to, um, maybe the TLDR of the TLDR, <laughs> like once, once I totally decided to work on, uh, on Webflow, like full time and quit my, uh, quit my company, I still didn't have, I didn't know who my co-founders were going to be. It was still kind of a solo effort. And we had moved. Uh, my wife and I with our kids from Sacramento to uh, Mountain View, which is, and I kept my day job at Intuit to uh, just shifted my hours to like really early hours. I, I would work from six to two. Uh, and then at two, I would take off and go to a coffee shop and work till seven on Webflow. Um, but at that time, I'd already known that I'm going to, oh, we're like saving up for a little while to make sure that we had at least three months of savings to just work on it full time. Uh, when I found my first co-founder, which conveniently was my uh, my brother, Sergi, um, this was September 2012, and we decided to go full time, like I would quit my job full time. Um, he would leave his job and move move to Mountain View and just moved into like this, not even the spare room. We have like this office in our condo, uh, our three bedroom condo. So one was like the master bedroom and then our kids room and then this office where Sergi moved in. So after that moment, uh, that was September 2012. Um, we started working on it full time and, and, uh, you know, one of my kids was already going to preschool. Um, and we thought that we were going to have, you know, of course, like three months, uh, we, we thought the three months of runaway was just like this amazing thing. I think we had like 20 K in the bank, uh, all told, like put into the company, which was all of my savings. Um, and we thought that it was going to be like a quick thing. We're going to make a Kickstarter video, going to raise like 500K. Of course, it's like every Kickstarter raises at least 500K. So we had all these sort of dreams around what the outcome was going to be. Uh, but those three months came and came and went really quickly. Um, and we found out midway after putting in like $10,000 into this Kickstarter video that Kickstarter doesn't support SaaS products. Uh, so that was a pretty rude awakening. Um, and and like half of our startup capital just <laughs> went into that uh, failed endeavor. But it wasn't until the next June that we were NYC. Um, so the like that September through June was all sort of working on Webflow full time with no income. Um, and, you know, kids in school or at least one kid in school and then daycare and all that stuff. So that was definitely a... Um, had we not had kids, it would have been a lot easier, but, but absolutely. I don't think I have any regrets from doing it, um, going through that journey with kids because it, it almost added this constraint this natural constraint of like, Hey, you have a lot more going on than just this company. And, uh, from the beginning, even though we did work like significantly longer hours in the, in that beginning phase, when we had no, no revenue and, um, no investment, we just had to work like, all day, every day, pretty much, um, only had Sundays off. Um, but that already, like we knew between my wife and I, we had an agreement that that was just a short season. Like we had to go through that, uh, in order to, to get funding. But once we got funding, we very quickly switched into kind of a more normal, um, operating environment where weekends were sort of off limits for, um, for normal day-to-day -day stuff, uh, or even product launches. Like we just, just focused on doing all the work we could do from Monday through Friday. And uh, that was just like the constraint that was naturally, um, I don't know if impose is the right word, but like the constraint that was naturally there to make sure that I was also there for my family, not just the, the business. 
Um, and that set the pace for as new people joined, um, you know, uh, as I was modeling that uh, new people saw that it was okay to actually go to dinner and, and not be pressured to eat dinner uh, at the office um, and spend weekends not worrying about checking Slack, et cetera. Well, kudos to your wife, too, for spending that time and <clears throat> really taking care of kids by the sound of it. Oh, absolutely. I think had um, my wife not been like fully bought in into the kind of this, this whole dream, then it, it would have been a lot, a lot harder because it was hard even with buy-in. Um, but had that buy-in not been there, um, I think it would have been a lot a lot tougher. I know a lot of, you know, after I sort of started talking about this stuff publicly, a lot of founders shared with me both publicly and privately in DMs that their marriages fell apart because of a startup project and how much time they, they put in into it. And, and it definitely takes a toll. Um, Did you even see your kids for that first year? I saw them only in the morning. Um, so we would, we would sort of wake up because uh, kids generally wake up very early at that age. Um, so I would see them up until around 7.30. Then we would um, take off and go to our co-working space. Uh, and then I'd get back at 10. So it was like I would see them only in the morning for a little bit and then all day Sunday. So Sunday was like always, uh, at least for that first year, was a family day. Um, and that that is something that I think is easy for founders to turn that one, that first year into the rest of your years, right? And I've talked to a lot of founders, especially like uh, founders who turned into VCs and now, you know, sort of reflecting back now that their kids are grown, um, they they realize that it's so easy to fall into this uh, default of uh, making sure like kids and family are, as much as you want them to be, always feel like second priority um, because like fires always happen, urgent stuff always comes up with the company, there's always travel needed, there's always... Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very easy to fall into that trap. Um, but I think for me, it was like really critical that that uh, my wife uh, was very open around kind of the limitations of, of how far I can push um, the time away from family and that it was capped at um, specific milestones. Like I, I know it was not something that like we explicitly um, talked about how long that that like initial grind would uh, could last before it becomes too hard. Right. And for everyone listening, I think it's important to kind of accentuate the major theme here. And it's from uh, you saying it from, from the other interviews with other kind of startup dads, but basically two things, right? Like you have to make a conscious decision that you're going to do this and that's what it's going to look like. And you have to get your uh, significant others buy in. And then you also have to remember to snap out of it as soon as you can, because yes. otherwise you'll, it is not sustainable. That that part is definitely like a marathon. Like you are running every day, um, but there's only so far it can it can last before your body just needs your body and your mind just needs to get into a more sustainable jog mode. Sort of related, but let's let's talk about your product launch. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I don't remember the exact day you guys launched, but I think it was Gary Tan who was tweeting it um, all over the internet saying how he was amazed by this new cool product. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you guys launched, it wasn't like a typical 
you know product you'd be embarrassed by on your on your first <laughs> launch it was actually like fully fledged software that worked really well looked awesome you you couldn't even tell that it was just like three guys behind it you, know, you <laughs> thought it was like a legitimate company that came out with this like super new mm-hmm. you know, i don't know like adobe competitor right you uh, should have seen you, sh- you should have seen behind the scenes what that what that felt like uh so the actual story i don't know if i've told this before but we were very convinced, so um, Sergey Bryant and I were very convinced that the thing that people would be willing to pay for is the design tool plus CMS. Because that's the thing, like everybody needs a blog, everybody needs like this uh, content management system. And we were very uncomfortable with launching without that. Um, and YC, uh, a couple of partners at YC, thankfully told us um, Hey, this is like you have you have two weeks to launch. Otherwise, we're going to kick you out of the program. Like they, I'm sure they were joking, but it sounded very serious. Like this is uh, if if you don't launch in two weeks, then you're not taking this program seriously. And I think that for us was just if that decision wasn't forced on us, we would probably not be sitting here today. Um, like we'd probably I'd probably be back at into it right now because uh, we didn't actually launch what we thought what we would be proud of until a year and a half later when we were already doing like $2 million in annual revenue. Because um, our CMS launched in late 2015 and, and we launched the original sort of like single page website builder uh, in August of 20, uh, 2013, two years earlier, more than two years earlier. Um, so we were very embarrassed by what we um what we launched and it was super buggy. Like you couldn't create a second page. We got so many, so many kind of comments during launch of like, you know, this is a super limited thing. Like every website has, you know, an about page and a contact page. And all you're saying is, you know, this is kind of a glorified one pager um, kind of website builder. What's the market for this? And why are you charging $29 per month for, for this, for this product? Uh, this was before we had, you know, CMS animations, like all the components that we added to um, sort of the building blocks for Webflow. So it was very, very, it felt very uncomfortable. It felt like we were just uh, launching this bare minimum thing. Um, and all the founders, were, you know, it's just three of us. We were all doing support um, and pretty much like 80% of our days were filled with answering support questions and uh, like fixing bugs because it was so buggy uh, and because we spent so little time like going from just a demo to an actual like working product that can like, you know, charge customers and, and host websites, et cetera. So I think the the outward, maybe the TLDR there is like the outward impression is definitely different from what you feel behind the scenes. Uh, but the other, the other bit of advice that, you know, I now give other founders very regularly is, is that, um, you you have to you have to, like the sooner you launch, even if you think that there's not enough value there, you just have have to validate that with with the market. And for us, it was definitely uh, one of those situations where we thought that not many people would be willing to pay for what we had at that time, um, but some people were, and that gave us you know even though it wasn't a lot and it w- wasn't enough to make us sustainable, it was enough to keep us encouraged to not like pivot away to a simpler product or. Um, to a, a different kind of, you know, customer segment or whatever. It was just enough to, to keep us motivated, to keep working on the ultimate vision. And um, I think had we not done that, we just wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten, we probably would have run out, uh, run out of the seed money that we raised 
and we wouldn't be able to raise a second um, second round just because we didn't have any growth to show for it. So I don't know. Like for us, that was a very uncomfortable event, uh, but I'm so glad we were forced into doing that by YC. So for all the founders and developers listening, um, how, you know, how do you decide that the initial response is good enough that you'll keep going? And also, how do you separate that um, uh, critical feedback that you're getting from the actual product, you know, in order to sort of keep building what your paying customers want while keeping everything else in mind? I honestly don't know how to answer that. Like, you know, generically for us, it was a combination of probably 80% of, um, uh, I would say, a kind of boundless optimism bordering on delusion uh, that that was just like this foundational belief that what we were building was a better way, even if we don't get, um, you know, kind of a response, a clear, very clear response from the market for it. It's almost like the anti-lean startup methodology where you're going more with your gut feel than actual data. Because uh, there were many, many months where during our first after our launch, so for like six months after our launch, um, our growth wasn't like picking up fast enough to where we would just, the three of us would pace around the building uh, and we were renting space from this other YC company um, which in Mountain View. We were just like pace around the building and always be questioning whether we need to pivot to something um, that is a lot closer to Squarespace uh, because the feedback we were getting over and over is that Webflow is way too hard to use. Like I, I, I go there and it's like this blank page and I see all these tools. It's almost like seeing After Effects for the first time. You have to go through like a lot of training, a lot of, um, you even have to understand the CSS box model. You have to understand like HTML to a degree. You almost have to be a developer in order for, for the initial, uh, the first kind of level of design tooling to make sense. Um, so we really didn't have that like, you know, clear, uh, clear idea of whether it makes sense to keep going uh, aside from revenue, like slowly but surely starting to increase. And this just like overwhelming belief that um, what we're building is just fundamentally better. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that Sergi and I had spent the, the previous eight years or so building websites for other clients. So we knew what the alternatives were. He would do the design in Photoshop. I would always translate it to like WordPress or like a static website or like ASP.NET or Joomla, um, uh, like a couple of Drupal sites or whatever. So I knew how painful that whole process was. Um, and, and I think there was a, like this overwhelming belief that there just has to be a better way. And we have to, we have enough, enough money and enough runway to like stick with it, but it, it definitely wasn't this, you know, clear sign that we're doing the right thing. Um, I think that only came when we had, you know, modeled out that, Hey, at this growth rate, we can actually get to a point where our, our burn will bottom out and we'll start making money. Uh, but that didn't happen for like another two years after launch, uh, two or two and a half or something like that. So that first week of launch, mm -hmm. you get some paying customers. Are we talking like, you know, 20 customers paying $20 or 2000 customers? Oh no, it was like, so we had a, um, and this was really depressing. <laughs> we had a, uh, a list, like an email, you know, like you capture emails for people, um, who are, you have one of these landing pages says, if you want to check it out, like give us your email. We had close to 40,000 people on that mailing list. So we thought, of course, like 10, at least 10% of these people are going to convert to paying customers, et cetera. 
after we had launched and it was like the whole YC demo day and TechCrunch and um, uh, it was like a full as, as launch heavy as you could get. I think after two, two weeks after launch, our monthly uh, recurring revenue was $3,000 or $4,000, something like that. Um, where going into our demo day pitch, because this was after launch, we were using the term like ramen profitable and, and um, which is definitely not the case, you know, even $4,000 a, um, a month didn't even support my family, um, let alone like Brian and Sergi's families. Um, but it was enough to, to kind of uh, start telling the story that revenues kind of starting to increase, but we had to play more to the, uh, you know, number of active users or retention on the site, which was also not super great because it was like a, such a complex tool. Um, so out of those, you know, 40,000 beta signups, I think maybe 150 became um, like customers right away or within those first couple of weeks. And then it was like a steady rise from there, but it wasn't like an overwhelming, like, boom, here's 2000 customers and you're off to the races. I think that would have given us a lot more confidence than, than what we got up front. Right, but that's great to share it because how many people launch and think, wow, their product sucks because yeah. no one came? Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of times, you, like you'll see yesterday, Webflow is on Product Hunt and we've been number one on Product Hunt many times. And um, like, if you if you actually gauge the success of that launch based on how many like paying accounts you have, holy moly, like sometimes these, uh, like a paying account might hear about you on a product hunt like listing, but then not sign up for another two weeks and then not upgrade for another like three months or something like that. So it's, uh, and a lot of times what, what you might see, um, what you might assume from, uh, you know, number of upvotes or whatever, it doesn't actually necessarily correlate to a direct business impact. Of course, like more visibility is great. Uh, but it's always, I don't know, unless you're very, very lucky or like some sort of outlier, it's always a very long slog to get to like a sustainable level of customers. And then you have to start worrying about churn and um, so many other factors that even when people sign up and they're paying you, you have to worry about, are you providing enough value? Like, is there, um, uh, is it so expensive or uh, not useful enough that people are like constantly canceling their accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not an overnight success kind of thing. Do you ever stop worrying? Um, I mean, I think my level of worry right now is, is, uh, very healthy and sustainable. Like I don't lose sleep over anything really. Like it's, um, but there's a lot to, a lot of things to optimize in the business, a lot of problems to solve. Uh, but I give myself permission uh, to to spend time thinking about them, to understand that these these are problems that many, uh, if not mo- if not most, and all companies face at scale, uh, or even before scale. Um, so I don't beat myself up over you know problems that might exist. Just um, try to figure out which ones are the most important and which ones uh, need dedicated time uh, to to tackle. Uh, versus feeling this sort of I know I've talked to a lot of founders where, you know, there's this constant comparison and measuring to other people's milestones and, you know, how much uh, other, other founders raise or how much uh, revenue other companies are doing or how fast they're growing or uh, like what their community looks like. And you will always, always, always find um, areas where somebody's doing better than you on some like uh, objective metric. 
And there will always be areas where you're doing better on some objective metric, but it's so easy to see the the areas where you fall short, uh, sort of uh, going to that, you know, the the idea that you get 100 compliments and one uh, constructive criticism, but like 100% of your brain uh, cycles go to thinking about that criticism, right? Um, so for me, like the last few years, I've been sort of a reprogramming of that, of like giving myself permission to like focus on the positives, recognize the the areas of opportunities and growth that, that we can focus on um, and systematically um, work on them uh, while not having this kind of overwhelming anxiety that I'm doing the wrong thing or not moving fast enough or um, should be doing, you know, five other things uh, that, that I'm not thinking about or whatever. So I, I would say my level of worry is more um, around uh, missed opportunity cost or, or con- considering how, uh, whether the thing I'm working on right now is the most important one or if, if something else uh, will have deeper impact. But it's not like, you know, a constant existential threat around like, will Webflow exist? Or am I doing um, completely the wrong things? Or uh, is the company going to go out of business or anything like that is long past? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be now. Yeah. Have there have there ever because uh, people always, uh, you know, ask about co founder relationships, and in some ways, they're like your relationship with your significant other. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one of your co founders is your brother, it's even more complicated in that <laughs> sense. Ha- has there ever been time where you guys were on the verge of like blowing up, whether with your uh, spouse or with your co founders? Um, I'd say, luckily, no. Uh, I'm super lucky in, in that the co founders that, um, ended up forming this founding team. Uh, we had so much working experience together, like Sergi and I um, worked on so many projects, you know, website projects. And, you know, even though he is my younger brother, it was uh, pretty early on, we developed a, a, a very professional relationship um, where there there was no like power dynamic there just because I'm older or whatever. Um, and Bryant and I worked at Intuit uh, for a couple of years where we had into it had like this 10% um, idea, 10% projects where you can work on whatever. And we ended up creating like this internal social network for ideas and they let us work on it full time, almost like as, as an internal startup. And Bryant and I were the main two engineers on that. Like I was running the front end, he was uh, running the back end. So we had a lot of experience like you know, having harder conversations or uh, like learning how to collaborate together. So when the three of us joined forces, it was it was like the perfect combination of skills because uh, Bryant tends to focus more on growth and marketing um, and uh, back end architecture. I focus more on like uh, operations and um, like people function and front end engineering sort of uh, kind of going into design. And then Sergi focuses a lot on product and product design and, um, you know, product education, things like that. Um, so for us, it's it's been a really healthy, uh, it, of course, there have been tense moments where, uh, you know, we're frustrated by certain parts of the business or whatever. But it's always been a, um, what we like to call, um, there's like this popular book. So we sort of stole the term from it, like radical candor, where, you know, out of care, we share our concerns with each other. Um, and there's, um, there's a lot of like mutual growth as we talk through problems. Um, and we all like, like all three of us work with different coaches, um, which is a function of each of us being candid with each other around our shortcomings and like things that we can work on. 
Um, but it's never come to the to the point where there have been any blowups or like severe disagreements. Um, we always tend to get on the same page. Sometimes it's hard to do like day to day when you're like in Slack or working on uh, like, you know, a lot of urgent problems, uh, things that are on fire, but always like getting into, you know, getting out of the office, going on an offsite, going to like some some beach house or something in Pacifica and just like, uh, you know, sort of resetting, celebrating uh, things and, and thinking about the future. Like we, we've always consistently gotten on the same page. And, um, I would say like Bryant became more of a brother to me and Sergi became more of a coworker. So they both sort of like melded in that direction of like, you know, we both have a very close, uh, all three of us have a very close bond on, on like a personal and professional level, um, which I feel is like the best of both worlds. It's, it's kind of, um, and, and the fact that the skills are so complementary and not, like really stepping on each other's toes is also really great. Um, I think that would have been a different story if it was just Sergi and I, um, without Brian's perspective. So the, like the, th- it's almost like a three-legged stool, um, where each of us like focuses on areas where we're really strong. And then, um, that happens to work really well for the company. You're making it sound so perfect. <laughs> uh, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel that way all the time, but it's, uh, it's definitely, I think maybe because it sounds like that because like intentionally over the years, we've had a lot of hard conversations, um, but, but at the right points where, you know, you don't quite blow up, you know, you're like, you're candid about your, your feelings and your perception. Um, and you share those with uh, team members and founders uh, before it really gets to the point where it's like eating, eating away your core, which I, which I've seen like destroy other founder relationships before. And ironically, well, maybe not, but it's uh, it's the same mentality that I think applies to parenting and marriages, mm-hmm. right? It seems like for people who uh, do the best at it, it's it's those people who share mm-hmm. with with each other and keep working on it. And like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, I'll be I'll be honest. There's a lot of privilege baked into, um, uh, like, for example, my marriage being successful or Webflow being successful. Because if Webflow didn't find product market fit and we weren't, if we didn't like launch in the market at the time that we launched and we had a lot of luck then because like no other company, everyone, like every investor, every other company was talking about mobile at the time, like focusing on the web was just dumb. It was like something that you did if you, uh, you know, were not with the times. Um, and, and the fact that we had like two or three years of runway where nobody was really looking at the space to, to sort of like build out the solution if we weren't like comfortable in our uh, like business and revenue uh, it would have been much harder to have like um, the kind of relationship that we have. Cause um, you know, the old adage of like growth solves a bunch of problems uh, mm-hmm. when things are going well, it's a lot easier to have uh, strong relationships. Just like if, if in a marriage, for example, you have a ton of uh, financial um, arguments all the time because like money's tight. Uh, and that was definitely something that was top of mind for us because, you know, when after I, after I quit my job and didn't have any income, like we had to go into a ton of debt and like cash out a 401k with like all these crazy penalties. And that was like getting to the point where that was becoming a major uh, point of stress. But had that gone longer, I can see that um, that being a, a major, major stress point on both marriage and a company. So I don't blame other founders when when I hear like, how how many like how arguments result from like the business not finding traction um or or 
look sort of things not going great on the customer front or on the churn front. Um, so in a lot of those areas, we've we've had, of course, we did a lot of work to make sure that the product works really well. We attacked churn from a very early uh, stage. So there's a lot, um, so, some work that went into that. But it was also easier for, for us to form these kinds of uh, relationships and, and be able to say, for the same reason that, you know, like DHH and Basecamp, like a lot of the reasons that they can provide that level of lifestyle and comfort and uh, be able to like focus more on people is because the business is making money, right? It's like they're not, they're not having to make decisions that are uh, much harder uh, where they, they, they're like trying to survive. Um, so, mm-hmm. so for us, it's, I just want to acknowledge that it's not, it's not a hundred percent us. It's uh, a lot came from the fact that we were operating in an environment that was more default alive than default dead, um, after a certain point, which gives you a lot more options, um, and a lot more of a clear head to, to think about problems with a longer time horizon, um, and not like have these sort of high friction points because the company is dying. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, default alive means your company is going to survive like on its revenue or, you know, being profitable as opposed to like just falling off the cliff slowly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just a couple more questions, but um, knowing everything you know now about sort of business relationships, family, um, how do you prepare yourself to get on this journey for anyone who wants to do a company of their own? It, it, from your experience, never mind, you know, the billion dollar mm-hmm. valuations, et cetera, mm-hmm. just like from exactly your experience. Hmm. Well, I think my experience is somewhat unique in that, um, in that I had this idea pretty early uh, and there was something, there's, there's a lot like tied up in timing. And there's this particular video that I saw called Inventing on Principle by Brett Victor that like 100% aligned with what my vision for Webflow was to what he was showing in the video, um, which sort of gave me this, uh, you know, overwhelming feeling that, you know, what I wanted to build was the correct thing and that it needed to exist in the world. Um, so I can only share from my perspective of having that, um, having that kind of drive towards like this kind of solution or this new, uh, whether you want to call it an invention, a new way of doing things, um, uh, like that, it was very important for me, but I also don't want to pretend, uh, like the other, the other day, there was a, a thread that, um, DHH posted around, um, like he's not, doesn't wake up every morning and thinks about events and reminders and projects, right? That's not like a, a driving factor for him. Um, he's more, he, he's more oriented around, like, how do you provide a better experience for, um, for the people that work at the company, etc. cetera. Uh, so for many founders, like it could be a fully a pursuit of just, you know, building a business that can sustain yourself and your family and like a team, et cetera. Um, of course, it's super helpful when you have like um, a, uh, a higher purpose where you can see that you just like every day you get up in the morning and you're like, this needs to exist. And you just, just will it into existence. Uh, that gives you a huge advantage to, um, to making that thing happen. So if you can find an idea that's like that, that, that just like in your, in the core of your being, you're like, I need to make this a reality, uh, almost like the Steve jobs, you know, make a dent in the universe, uh, kind of mentality. That's always a, a great precedent to start from, but I don't want to also say that that's required. Like it, it should be, um, equally possible to, 
um, uh, you know, start start a business that you're not particularly excited about the, the future vision of, uh, but you see like a strong business case or um, you can you can see how like the financial model could work and, and generate revenue or whatever. Um, it it just becomes a, a lot easier when uh, when you're driving towards like that, that bigger purpose. Um, so I guess that all that to say is if you have like a recurring itch to solve a specific problem, um, and Paul Graham says this a lot, like that's usually a great sign that, that you will, you will learn how to do all the things necessary operationally along the way, you know, learn how to be a, um, a, a good founder, a good CEO, a good uh, operator, a good manager, um, a good like trainer of executives, et cetera. Um, like all that will come uh, along just like when you're a parent, right? Like you don't, you don't set out and read, even though a lot of people intend to all these books about parenting and how to do parenting right. And all these techniques or whatever, what actually happens is that you're really, really driven to um, be a parent for whatever reason. Like part of that is evolutionary and part of it is, you know, kind of what we see in society and how much uh, fulfillment and satisfaction other people get from their children. Um, and then you just know once you have kids, how, how much of a um, fulfilling and driving factor it is. Um, you sort of learn how to be a good enough parent along the way and just keep them alive and, and provide for them and uh, make sure they have a great experience or whatever. Uh, this is a starting to feel like a super rambling answer, but uh, I, I guess the TLDR there is uh, if you do have that, that drive to, to invent something or uh, a specific idea that you want to get in the world. It's almost like a cheat code uh, that's going to let you get over a lot of like these roller coaster bumps when, when you want to get discouraged or when something's not working in the business or whatever, that level of optimism that you just want to get that thing out into the world is going to um, be a significant factor in making sure that, that you take the steps necessary to get there. Um, But if that's missing, I from my experience, I don't know, um, like how to best advise, like when to get started, why to get started, whether it's worth being uh, a founder versus, um, you know, working for a different company or a different startup, uh, for, for all I know, like the financial factors might be well in your favor to go work on another company. If you don't have, um, uh, kind of an incentive to, to create something new. Uh, the only thing I know is that a lot of people who, who started startups just for the sake of like playing startup, you know, they wanted to be a founder, they wanted to have the title, they wanted to like raise funding, they wanted to be on TechCrunch. That is ultimately, I haven't seen that be a fulfilling uh, drive for folks. Like that ultimately en- ends up being pretty empty because each of those milestones comes with even more pressure, even more um, uh, kind of even more expectations and it, it doesn't lead to fulfillment in my experience. Um, so it's, it's definitely highly, highly preferable that if you're starting something new um, and if, if it's important and impactful, it's going to take many, many years to get there. Uh, then you need that um, uh, kind of higher level inspiration um, to bring that into, you know, a product or service or whatever uh, into reality. You, it's going to help in so many ways along um, along your journey. Right. And it's not to say that you can't just start a company to make money. There are plenty exactly. of people who do. Most small it's businesses just... do, I think. Like most small, like people don't wake up in the morning like, oh, I want to I want to dry clean people's clothes or I want to like run a sandwich shop. Like, no, they're doing it to provide for their families. Uh, they're not like, you know, have a vision for sandwich artistry. 
Um, it's a it's a way to uh, create revenue to provide for your family and to uh, ensure the success of your like sort of individual stakeholders, if you will. Um, so it's a perfectly reasonable um, kind of reason to start a a company uh, or start. Oh, but I mean, even even and especially in Silicon Valley, there are founders who just want to go raise money and build a company. It doesn't matter what the company mm-hmm. is uh, or, you know, what the vision is. They just want to build it in three to five years. Oh, I think that's going to be, a, I think they're going to have a bad time in my opinion. <laughs> well, and, and that's the wonderful thing because you're building a very special kind of company that works around your vision and your employees mm-hmm. uh, vision. And, you know, uh, but, um, and what I'm trying to get to is that I think it's also important, I guess, for founders to figure out who they are and what they want. Mm-hmm. And you're just a great example that you can build a company that works for you and everyone around you. And it it works in the way that is best for you and your customers and nobody else, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely possible. Um, by the way, I haven't asked a lot of kid questions because I think we kind of covered a little bit about how you're building mm-hmm. this company and how your family and, you know, uh, co-founders came together. So there's a lot there uh, implicitly about... <laughs> Uh, how your family uh, almost grew up with this company, but if you if if you want to uh, you know talk about that a little bit more, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, let let me know, yeah. you know how how much. Uh, <laughs> it's one thing my wife always says is, um, you know, we always had we had two kids, but really in reality, it felt to her like we had three. Uh, Webflow being the third one, just just how much it has been integrated in in our family, like how. Um, a how much time it took early on, uh, but also how much meaning it has to me personally, right? Like it's not, it's not just a job that I go to. Um, I constantly share stories. Just yesterday, like you know, showing all the feedback to to my kids and my wife from uh, the product hunt launch. Like that's like they uh, actually I took my daughter to the emergency room to the urgent care last night and we were like sitting there at nine uh nine p.m and we were watching our launch video together uh and like you could see that she was proud of me um and it's something that she she asked for as I was like sort of scrolling through the the product hunt listing she's like oh that looks interesting um and it's, it's just been like part of our family but not to the degree where um it is the single overriding like most important thing um she got so excited about the launch that she had to go to emergency room for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I uh, like, are your kids now fairly involved in the day-to-day Webflow? Like, do they come to the office? I've seen some pictures. Uh, yeah, they co- they come to the office sometimes, but they're they're definitely not involved. I think their main level of involvement is wearing the Webflow t-shirts to school. <laughs> um, so they're they're wearing Webflow everything. They're like, I think they're. I think some parents are worried about uh, how, how how branded they are. Uh, uh, so they're, I mean, they're, they're, a lot of times they're more annoyed at like, oh, okay, just another Webflow thing. Um, Give them a t-shirt with a sign-up code. Yeah, exactly. They can become affiliates. Um, no, but it's not just like a, 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 standard, a standard thing. I actually found out the other day, uh, my older daughter, she's 10 now. She's like, dad, um, my friend, I forget her name, like she Googled you and she said, um, she said there's like too many pictures of you online. Um, so now it's having to deal with this, like how, how to make sure that my kids 
you know, don't, don't just see me as a dad um, and, and don't see some sort of like new persona that is somehow separated from, uh, from our family life. Uh, but that was like something brand new that I wasn't expecting. Um, but day to day, they're way more interested in like playing video games or going rollerblading, uh, which apparently is still a thing, um, than they are in, you know, visiting Webflow or doing Webflow related things or doing, going to like company events. Um, I have to ask you this question, given that you're building a visual development tool that is not meant to have people actually develop, mm -hmm. um, what's your view on this whole, let's teach every kid to code movement? So I actually see everything that Webflow is doing as still under the development umbrella. Um, it just happened. It's a different type of development. We call it visual development. It's almost like, um, you know, people used to not consider assembly development because it wasn't as powerful as writing machine code by hand. Um, then, you know, assembly programmers were like, oh, C is not real development because, you know, there are a lot of like very precise memory management things and, and control flow things you can't do in C because the language doesn't provide for it. Like the abstraction is uh, not uh, 100% to the, the power of assembly. Then, you know, C++ and Java and JavaScript and so on. Uh, progressively more and more um, as the level of abstraction rises, there's always these sort of like checkpoints where some people think that this new abstraction isn't quite as powerful as the one before. Um, and we see Webflow as almost like, uh, if you rewind like 50 years ago, uh, when uh, the first spreadsheet, uh, maybe it wasn't even 50 years ago, when the first spreadsheet came about, um, a lot of the things that spreadsheets allowed you to do were accomplishing like COBOL and Pascal and uh, C where you would literally have to write this application. But now you can actually express that same problem, uh, whether it's like a finance ops problem or like a business modeling problem. You can actually express it in, in a spreadsheet, right, and have the computers do calculations for you. It's essentially a different type of development or a different way to give computers instructions and uh, have them like do computations for you. And a lot of developers, especially those that were um, sort of like felt threatened because they were writing those uh, sort of um, wrote kind of financial calculations in Pascal or whatever, they felt like this new model wasn't real development, right? But now, if you look at you know Excel and spreadsheets, like entire business models, entire businesses sometimes even run a, on Excel as the database. Um, so we see visual development, the thing that Webflow empowers as being like a similar, uh, a similar type of democratization of an existing technology uh, and an existing practice. Um, you just have to redefine it differently. Like if development is defined as I'm going to declare how software behaves and how it's experienced by people, and I'm able to uh, deploy it to where other people can actually use the value of that software. If you can categorize that as development and come up with a different approach to making that same value happen, then it's still development. You're developing software. Um, it's just not programming anymore. It's not like text-based programming in, in a code editor. But if the output is exactly the same, then it's, it's really irrelevant. Uh, for the same, in the same way that there used to be developers, quote unquote, in the graphic design and digital publishing industry, where you know designers would actually do stuff on paper. Uh, it was called paste up. They would actually glue a layout, magazine layout, or a newspaper layout on paper. Then that would go to a typesetter um, or a postscript expert to actually write the code to translate that to what the printer understands. And that was a technical like development 
uh, programming task to translate one to the other. Uh, but then when that was automated away via like desktop publishing software like Quark Express and uh, InDesign uh, these days, it's essentially like um, the same exact thing is happening. It's just happening behind the scenes. Like people would just press export to PDF and that same um, or similar code is generated, right? It's the, the output is exactly the same. So when, um, when we talk about visual development, it's like as long as you can push the software to production, you are developing. You're developing a product. Uh, we've now had like tens of products go on product, not just websites, like actual products um, where, you know, they, they provide value. They're like subsets of software uh, or like simpler type of software. Uh, but it's it's replacing what developers would have to do by hand. Um, as long as the end result is the same, it's still, in my opinion, development. It's just like now available to a wider range of people. First of all, you just dropped so many names that I've never realized you're 100 years old. <laughs> uh, Quark um, Express. <laughs> yeah, but you're uh, absolutely right. I mean, I've been using Webflow for, I don't know, maybe a year or two now. And it's wonderful for all the things that used to take days mm -hmm. can now take hours. Because at the end of the day, as a developer, you can, you, you, you can and should definitely build software. But the software you build should be the core to experience you provide. And very often, a lot of those things are in core, right? Like you, you and I've seen this, I think, where people build apps. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to separate this for, I guess, non-technical users, but where, where the Webflow, uh, the website sits in the Webflow, I know the data comes from somewhere, you know, the users can interact with mm -hmm. it, but it's only the part that's like really challenging and technical and complicated mm -hmm. that becomes an app that's built somewhere else. Right. So you can actually get your developers, right? For every startup out there, you can get your developers to focus on the core, uh, the, the core mm -hmm. app that kind of put takes eighty percent of the effort, mm -hmm. but not the uh, uh, visual side of it that takes eighty yeah, percent of the time. Right. And and uh, over so, time, we're actually like if you look at if you ever go through Webflow and and start a new project, uh, we have something called a template marketplace. Uh, which used to be an Angular app that was maintained by three uh, engineers on our team. Um, it has, you know, all the templates that get submitted by our template designers in the marketplace. It has like tags and profiles. You can go like to each individual designer and see everything that they're, uh, all the other templates that they have. You can go by like categories and see reviews. A hundred percent of it now runs in Webflow. Uh, in production, and it's maintained by like 5% time of one of our product designers. It's an actual line of business application uh, that is, you know, getting a million requests a month. And uh, it essentially three developers are now working on something even more complicated on our stack, uh, but they're not having to worry about maintaining this application. And this application has now gone through, you know, like five different design iterations uh, and all that combined was still like a fraction of the time that the development team would would have spent on it. Uh, so and at, over time, as we add more functionality to Webflow, like we're going to add user systems, we're going to add like multi-language, we're going to add backend logic, like this will get closer and closer to being able to build like more and more types of software, uh, not just like front-facing websites. Um, this is so meta because what you just said is that Webflow runs on Webflow. Yeah. Parts of Webflow run on Webflow for sure. Like most of our design, most of our e-commerce uh, UI was developed inside of Webflow. It's actually kind of freaky because you get you you don't know where like the Webflow UI ends and where the canvas begins. <laughs> uh, so our product designers had a pretty tough time uh, trying to like 
build Webflow and Webflow. But it's still nowhere near like the actual case where the vast majority of Webflow is built in Webflow. It's still like the vast majority is still built directly in, in text-based code. So what's what's Webflow 15 years from now? That's always so hard to answer. Uh, I mean, flying cars for sure. We definitely are spinning up that business unit. Uh, what else is everyone doing? Crypto. Uh, <laughs> crypto. So yesterday, have you seen the latest value of crypto? Like, so yeah, not interesting anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely kind of moving up this ladder of abstraction of, uh, of adding more and more capability to not just websites, but more web applications. That's, that's generally our, our direction. And 15 years from now, wow, that's like double the time we've already spent. Um, so I, I hope it's we're somewhere in the in the realm where a significant portion of software that's being built is now built in Webflow, like over ten percent at that point. Um, that that would be a really awesome goal to hit. Actually, you know, last last question, but like we just mentioned crypto, mm-hmm. and for a while it was booming, and everybody was getting rich and buying yachts in San Francisco. Uh, how do you, as a founder or as a, you know, as a human living, in, especially in San Francisco, uh, keep your uh, sanity and just keep working on a company that's really valuable? Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you're also seeing all these other crazy things happening around you. Yeah, maybe it's my temperament, but like for me, um, disassociating my personal worth or the worth of Webflow from like other people's accomplishments. Um, has been pretty huge for me, like where now I feel happy for all these. So it's great that you're making a killing off crypto two years ago, or it's great that you just got a billion dollar valuation. Um, like none of that upsets me or like, I'm just happy for all these teams. Um, and I don't know if that like for, for some people, that level of competitiveness, just their nature uh, is helpful to like go chase something or, or be better at something. Uh, for me, it's just seeing what kind of impact that has had on other friends who are trying to chase like these valuations or um, look at more of these like vanity metrics. I've just seen the impact that has on on them as people. Like they're just so anxious and so overwhelmed and, and like they hit a milestone and then there's the next milestone and it feels even more overwhelming. Uh, there's just no end there. Um, so for me, it's just been like pretty freeing to realize that Hey, what we're doing is important. It might not be as like flashy as some things you read on um, on TechCrunch, but it's enough for us to see the impact we're having for our team and for our customers. Um, and it feels great to to build a valuable product that people are willing to pay for and keep improving it, and um, still have time to spend with our families and focus on our hobbies and have a lot of fun together as a team. And and that just feels even when when it might be we might be behind other teams on like various other metrics, it just feels good. And for me, that's enough. That's a very relaxing <laughs> zen zen outlook on life. Yeah. All right. Well, what would you like our listeners to do when they finish this episode? Should they go check out Webflow, Webflow Commerce? Uh, yeah, if you if you haven't seen Webflow before, a lot of people have this misconception that it's just like Squarespace. Um, actually, the, it is not yeah. Squarespace. Don't use Squarespace. Yeah. Webflow is way yeah, better. Yeah, the first thing that I would do is go to university.webflow.com and watch some of these tutorials, like Webflow 101 or something like that. 
A, they're super funny, like very entertaining. There's some of these tutorials where like sometimes I just watch them for the humor. Uh, but also you'll get a good sense of the power of Webflow. Like a lot of marketing teams are switching over to Webflow, like entire startups. We've got like HelloSign and Lattice and like the, the list is now like very long where entire marketing departments are um, no longer relying on engineers. They're just pushing everything through Webflow, as does Webflow itself. Like we build 100% of our marketing stuff through our brand design team and no engineers are involved. Um, so check out some of those um, some of those tutorials. That'll give you like a really good idea of the power of Webflow. You'll see like the CMS uh, how how we tackle that visually, not through templates, um, and and that'll give you a good idea of whether it's something that can like help your startup or or your business, um, or you know like recommend it to your friends who who can make a living off of Webflow. Like a ton of people now, thousands of people now make a living exclusively from doing projects on Webflow. Um, so it's it's definitely different than than your your typical. Uh, website builder that you might see a Squarespace or might see a Super Bowl commercial for, or might hear on your favorite podcast. Um, it's it... oh, come on, stop promoting those other guys. <laughs> they don't exist. Okay, fine. Thanks for the reminder. Webflow is building Webflow. Yeah. yeah, actually, we're the only. I think we're the only website builder that builds our own website in the website builder itself, and we now have like a whole list of other website builders that have that have built at least in part, their websites with Webflow. Um, and now there's been a, like a whole um, host of other Webflow for, let's say, mobile, like a Webflow for mobile um, product where it's yep. just focused on um, the non-website use case. And uh, all the recent ones have been built with Webflow. <laughs> like their websites yeah, are built I, with Webflow. There was one the other day and I, I wrote them a comment. I was like, guys, since I've been using Webflow, this looks really cool because this would be like that for mobile. And then I look in their source uh -huh. code and it's Webflow. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> That's my favorite moment, like checking the source. Yesterday I had this, uh, the top three products on, on Product Hunt where the websites were built with Webflow. Uh, one of them, of course, was Webflow Commerce. So that's kind of cheating. Um, but when the top three products on Product Hunt were all built with Webflow, like that was a huge point of pride. It's like, holy crap, I can't believe it's now getting to that level where it's becoming more and more of an obvious solution for, for marketing sites, at least. Uh, it's, uh, it's only a hockey stick growth from here. Hope so. Hopefully. Crossing fingers. Yeah, well, Vlad, thanks for coming. It's awesome to hear you talk about Webflow and how you get here. And I think it's really important for people to realize that like normal people can build really awesome companies in a normal way mm -hmm. and uh, kind of like the typical you know billion-dollar unicorn craziness is not necessary to create mm -hmm. something amazing and be happy while doing it. Amen. Well, there you've heard it. Vlad, the CEO of Webflow, a rad dad who is building a company on his terms. If you've enjoyed this episode of Rad Dad Show, head over to raddadshow.com and sign up for the newsletter so that I can let you know when the next episode drops. Also, if you can go to iTunes on your phone, the Apple Podcast, and leave us a good review, that would really help to let more people know about the show. Alrighty, till next time.